Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start, Start saving, saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. This week's Lawn Order Marathon winner is Nikki Keating from Orlando, Florida. Nikki will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Tracy Ferguson, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories. These are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at The Mothership, Season 15, Episode 1, Paradigm. So who would pose a dead corporal to look like a crusader? Somebody who wasn't so happy about what she had in those pictures. A Muslim. Or someone who wanted to make it look that way. Come on, Lieutenant, you still can't believe that this is a government conspiracy. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcast, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Thanks for having me back, Kevin. Well, there's nobody else <laughs> I can fit in this studio <laughs> these days. It's always me. It's always going to be you. <laughs> I'm appreciative anyway. But even though you're super close, we went super far to get our super special guest joining the panel from the Ducks and Rock podcast all the way from Galway. It's Tracy Ferguson. Hello, Tracy. Hi, guys. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you for having me on the show. And I, I guess I take it that you're under house arrest in, in Ireland, too? I am. Now, I'm more fortunate than most because I'm looking out at the beautiful Atlantic Ocean outside my window in Galway in the west of Ireland. Do we have the Atlantic here, too, Rebecca? Is we that- do. But yes. we're looking at the opposite it's way. It's not as beautiful. <laughs> 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 it's much more beautiful when you're on the verdant uh, shores of Ireland than it is when you're on the sandy shores of the east coast of the United States. That's just my opinion, of course. <laughs> well, I won't disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> and Tracy, my my all-time favorite guest was Chris Green, the RTE disc jockey. Mm-hmm. You have a connection with Chris, do you not? I do. I used to read the news on Chris's radio show. Wow. Uh, yes, back in the day, but um, but we were still pals. Uh, all the crew from that radio station actually kept in touch. I think radio pulls people together. Um, but yeah, Chris is fantastic. He's such a great guy, really talented. So Tracy was like the Robin Quivers to Chris Green's <laughs> Howard Stern. Yes. Yeah. Very exciting. Yes. <laughs> Everyone knows Robin is the glue <laughs> to that show. So Tracy was obviously the glue that held that whole thing together too. Yes, same velvety voice. 
I think you have a wonderful velvety voice, actually. I, I do, too. Oh. I feel like I'm on an episode of Thistle and Shamrock right now. Oh. This is incredible. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's insensitive, Rebecca. It's culturally insensitive. I'll take it. <laughs> Tracy, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite Law & Order detective team? Favorite Law & Order detective team. Mm, I know I have to. I was going to go in another direction, but I think Green and Fontana. I have to say Ooh. that. I got to tell you, after watching this episode, I'm thinking about making a switch to them as well. I forgot how much I love Fontan. I love him so much. Oh, yeah. Because uh, he reminds you of me. Does he? Yeah, with the camel coat and the big wad of cash. <laughs> and the pinky ring. The pinky ring. That's, just, that's exactly how I am. And who is your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. I mean, you, you just have to love Sam Waterston. Yeah, of course. You, know, you just have to. He's just the best. And in this as well with, um, is it Elizabeth Rohan? Yes. Is in this. Uh, yeah, she's pretty. I thought I liked them. But you can't go wrong really on any episode of Law and Order. Um, people talk about having a formula, but theirs worked. Hmm. It just did. And, and the spinoffs are great, but it's the, the original and best that I love most. Yeah, and, and we have to get your opinion. Do you think that Serena Sutherland is actually a lesbian? <laughs> <laughs> or has she said so on her the end of this particular season? But no one, no one agrees with her. No, it doesn't ring true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode: Law and Order, season fifteen, episode one, Paradigm. We're colleagues whose smoking break is going to be smoking each other, <laughs> stumble across the body of a woman posed on her back with a cross written in blood across her chest. Ed Green and his spanking brand new partner, Joe Fontana, learned she was struck with a pipe and then smothered. This girl's built pretty solid. She fight back? No, there's no defensive wounds. This is why I'm sure that she was smothered after she lost consciousness. So where'd the blood on her clothes come from? It's not hers. DNA lab says it's porcine. Pig's blood? So we're looking for a guy with a pink complexion. And a flat nose. Lindsay Starr was a reservist MP who just returned from Iraq. The day of her murder, she was not wearing a white blouse and was headed to the city to pick up tickets to a booze cruise honoring veterans. In her work locker, the detectives find a key to a safe deposit box which contains photos of prisoner mistreatment at Abu Ghraib. But these photos which she probably got printed at CVS, <laughs> reveal that high-ranking officers were also taking part in the torture. Well, if it's not a military cover-up, could the killer have been a former prisoner? They get a list of all the people who were bad enough to get waterboarded, but okay enough to come to New York and get working permits. <laughs> the two find an American oil executive who got his Iraqi brother-in-law out of Abu Ghraib, but he was later killed in an insurgent car bomb attack. His sister, Nadira, said the day of the murder, she was shopping in Brooklyn, and Green and Fontana uncovered the Muslim woman purchased pig's blood. When confronted with this evidence, Nadira demands to be treated as a prisoner of war. Okay, so everybody's just walking into this empty office suite? It's <laughs> yes. like no locks on the door? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's full of asbestos and no one cares <laughs> no no it's not a, quite a romantic setting definitely I, I, I think the whole like love middle of the day love making scene between those two whatever they were mm -hmm. stockbrokers or whatever was so weird like what time is it 20 to 2 we better get busy <laughs> we had better 
Oh, Red. Oh, that is what I am talking about. <laughs> I thought you'd like it. <gasps> First of all, she was wearing yeah. a white blouse with a red bra underneath, which is a no. You just do not mm-hmm. do that. Second, it was just not particularly sexy or romantic, and we're supposed to that believe place? this is like their hot tryst. Well, did you notice the aspect <laughs> time it was? It was like 2.30? Well, let's get busy. Well, no, no, I'm just going to say, so in that same afternoon, it's not like it happened at nine o'clock and you could say, oh, we fit in the medical exam and then the investigation and going here and making the arrest. I mean, it was already two o'clock <laughs> at the end of the day. They really whipped through that. Well, Fontana was really late for his first day, huh? Yeah, he didn't give oh, yeah. two shits. He's like Brooklyn, Manhattan, Bronx. I don't know. And all bees, uh, yeah. The BMT is actually a actual subway. It's not a sandwich. Uh, so they, they find their way to the victim's locker, and the boss says he doesn't want them going. It's Lindsay's. You sure this is legit? Oh, yeah. We're authorized. We're authorized. <laughs> authorized for what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they totally go along with it. Yes. Is Fontana like pre-approved? Like when you got a credit card thing in the mail? <laughs> like Columbia yeah. House? Yeah. yeah, I'm pre-approved. I can go in there. Yeah, I'm authorized. But Fontana's a super good cop. I mean, Green thinks he's done with the search after he pulls out the magazines, which, by the way, why does someone who works in a grocery store have magazines in her locker? I don't know. How long are those it's breaks? Weird. They can't be longer than 10 minutes, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's weird. And, but he doesn't even have to look too, for you know, it not too thoroughly. They're literally just clipped they stuck to the underside of the one shelf <laughs> in the locker. Yeah. Why? Hold on, I can see something hidden up in the dark corner. Why is the underside of the shelf in an unlocked locker in a bodega a safer place to keep a key than your parents' giant home in Connecticut or wherever they live? It's the first place they'd look. <laughs> Which apparently they didn't look. <laughs> no, no, and they don't. I don't think they searched her boyfriend's house either, and she'd just come from there. Exactly. By the way, good on Green for speaking out against torture. Yep. Which is a brave mm-hmm. political stance. Uh, <laughs> I don't have to defend my company to a couple of local cops. You're not in charge here. This was combat. Stuff happens. This stuff ain't supposed to happen. Don't tell me you guys never crossed the line. Look, Colonel, the reason we have rules and interrogation is so that when our guys get captured, this don't happen to them. <laughs> but it's funny because later we meet up with this gas jockey who's been to Abu Ghraib when Saddam controlled, and he says, Any Iraqi would rather be in a jail run by the Americans than a jail run by Saddam. The only mistake you made was not burning Abu Ghraib to the ground. You know, it's not so bad now. Yeah. Like I go back? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, the whole idea that, I mean, we know from, because we read, that like people who were prisoners of the United States are not permitted to just like wander the world willy-nilly after they get released, right? You mean if they get released? Mm -hmm. If they get released, which they typically don't. Right. Yeah. No, no. Uh, There's a few inconsistencies really in the show. (laughs) What? It was it was so groundbreaking though back on the t- back in the day because no one was touching this topic. Right. So it was a big deal, you know, when it came out. That's right. And there were a lot of conspicuous American flags everywhere in this show. I don't know if you noticed that, Kevin. <laughs> like you went, they went to visit the parents, huge American flag in their yard, courthouse steps, huge American flag, gas station, American flag in the background. I don't know if you saw that. You notice that? Yeah. Well, I mean it was post nine eleven New York. Right. And it was actually mm-hmm. New York, not a sound stage in Los Angeles. Right. Uh 
Yeah, but I do want to get into that part of it because you're right. This is of a, this particular episode is of its time mm. and is pretty cutting edge. Um, Wait, you mm-hmm. want to get into that part? You don't want to talk about like the whole scene where they talk about how solidly built the girl was, so she <laughs> could she should have fought back. I'm like, I think he just called a dead person fat. Like that wasn't cool. <laughs> No, not cool. <laughs> not cool at all. <laughs> that pig's bug made me look way bigger than I was. <laughs> this pig is going to make me look bad. <laughs> Everyone knows the solidly built girls don't wear white. Come on. No, no, never. That should have been a clue. <laughs> hey, we have a hey, it's that guy. Hey, it's that guy who is playing district attorney bernie adler assuming everything you think you can prove is true that situation's covered by the geneva conventions rebecca's raising <laughs> her hand so i'm gonna go with her who's that that is my oh for always and forever my alan dershowitz ron silver yeah ron silver. famed the, actor uh, the late ron silver he was in rebecca's favorite movie reversal of fortune playing one of rebecca's favorite people <laughs> the least alan favorite dershowitz. people formerly favorite now one of my least favorite people alan dershowitz yes mm. so i don't know if you, you guys know this but ron Silver taught Spanish at a Jewish boarding school before acting. Because he got a master's degree in Chinese history, the U.S. government sent him to Taiwan in the 1970s. He was a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, president of the Actors' Equity Union, a vocal Democrat and Zionist. And right around this time, this liberal broke with the Democratic Party over the war on terror Mm -hmm. and spoke at the 2004 Republican National Convention. Mm -hmm. And he said he later lost work and was shunned by the entertainment industry. So he really never stopped playing Alan Dershowitz. (laughs) (laughs) Ever. (laughs) (laughs) But I think when when you look at his performance, he always sort of has that sort of adversarial, just slightly arch kind of delivery in his Mm. presence and which would have really made him a good defense attorney yeah no he does and he has a great look too he can say a lot with the look i think (laughs) little look um yeah he just has that look uh yeah no i i really like him i've I've liked him in a few things but yeah he's he's pretty cool now we do have a repeat offender Mm. repeat offender we see robert john burke our orders from mi would have said physical and mental conditions favorable to the interrogation of these detainees. As Lieutenant Colonel Danbury, of course, we know him as Tucker, Tucker. from SVU. Young Tucker. And we had him on this podcast for an episode called Brother's Keeper, on which I said it was his first Law and Order appearance, and he immediately tweeted back that it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) But who are you going to believe? I know, it's true. Obviously you. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) He should check his facts. He should. (laughs) Who's playing Adira Harrington? Anyone know? I do. No. Rebecca, okay. Uh, she is. That's <laughs> Sarita Chaudhry, who played Saul Berenson's wife in Homeland. That's correct. That's how I know her. Oh. Yeah. You said you came to help us, but to help us, you need to respect us, and all Americans do is bring shame. Yeah, she got her start in Mississippi Masala, mm-hmm. uh, across from Denzel Washington. You've seen her as Kith on Jessica Jones. No, I haven't. The superhero. <laughs> I've never seen that show. Series. Oh, yes. And also Sal's wife on Homeland. A good acting job here, I think, for what she was given. Way better than the guy who played the boyfriend. Way better. 
Oh God, he he had an ugly cry that haunts me still. <laughs> and where was he going on that bike? Where was he going on that bike? I don't know. I don't think he turned back. I think he kept going. <laughs> it's like I've got errands to do. Whatever. <laughs> okay, can you spot the actor playing Adil Salim? He's the one pumping gas. No. Mm-mm. Tuesday morning, I was here. I work the day. My partner works the night. Well, Rebecca, if you ever watched Blacklist, I never have. <laughs> <laughs> yet, yet another very popular show that I have you know, never that's, seen. <laughs> that's uh, that's Amir Arison. He plays FBI agent Aram Moshtabai mm-hmm. for a mere 142 episodes. Wow. Yeah, he's important. Whoa, he's gotten a lot of work. Good for him. That's a nice paycheck. Yeah, yeah. He won best yeah. actor in a comedy. At New Jersey's Hang On To Your Shorts Film Festival. (laughs) (laughs) So prestigious. That's up there with the Oscars. It is is the New Jersey Hang On Your Shorts Film version of the Oscars. (laughs) Now, does anyone know who's playing Mayor Michael Bloomberg? Oh, Unfortunately, there has been much speculation and misinformation about this case. <laughs> no, that shows you how popular that show was, you know, for the mayor to be making a personal appearance. Yes. Yeah, that is Michael R. Bloomberg, as he was listed in the credits. <laughs> that is his second Law & Order appearance. Uh, he was born on Valentine's Day, 1942. He was murdered by Elizabeth Warren in the first presidential debate. <laughs> <laughs> True. So, did you notice the lingering um, long shot on his reaction face as Arthur Branch is yes. talking? It's like they wanted to give Bloomberg a chance to face act for a minute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, they had to cut some of his lines, uh, like when he turned to Sutherland and said, Nice tits. No, he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> no, he didn't. That was the oh, real life Michael Bloomberg, yeah. not the fictional Michael right. Bloomberg. Because then he stopped and frisked Van Buren. Oh, stop it. <laughs> but he probably would have. Yes, he would. <laughs> or he would, he would have gotten someone else to do it. All right. We also see somebody before they were famous. We do. Before they were famous. Rebecca. Yes. Can you tell me who is playing the dead body of Lindsay Starr in this episode? No. You have no idea? No. Tracy, can you help her out? That would have been me, Tracy Ferguson, in my starring role that I'm still really proud of. Are you kidding? I am dying right now. (laughs) Yes, that is uh, Tracy Ferguson, now the host of the podcast, Docs That Rock. So we have a guest on who was in the episode that we are talking about? Yes. Has it ever happened before? No, it's never happened before. Oh. Not for lack of trying. <laughs> wow. I feel privileged. This is amazing. Tell me everything. Did did oh. Dennis Farina touch your face? Really? Did he, he pull did. up your he lip? He put his fingers in my mouth. Uh, it was a special moment. How then he take? rolled um, you over naked. <laughs> he rolled me over. Oh, that roll. Oh now I'm super yeah. pissed that they called you a sturdy girl or whatever they Rebecca, called you. not just them. <laughs> built. No, they said, Kevin, they said, girls built pretty solid. And I said, are they, are right. they trying to say she's fat and that is not okay? That is what I said. I'm going to play <laughs> a montage of everything you've said. 
about Tracy without knowing it was Tracy in this episode. Yeah, 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 Rebecca. Listen, she was uh, shouldn't have worn that white blouse to get that pig blood thrown on her. Uh, <laughs> that white blouse. That white blouse was the end of me because the costume person had put on all the pig's blood. Mm-hmm. and had dried it hanging up, so it dried in a big, wide circle. Wait, tell me it wasn't actually so, pig's blood that they used for this show. No, I think it was just... Paint? Uh, yeah, I don't know where they got that blood. No, it was definitely <laughs> blood. Uh, uh, probably. <laughs> so tell us this experience, because we have not had anyone uh, on who's who's done this before. This is a dream. Yeah. Oh. Uh, oh, well, uh, uh, yeah, it was... It was great. I, the audition was very simple because all I had to do was stand there. And uh, they had about 15 people and we stood in a line and my dad was in the army. So he had taught me how to stand for a military parade. Uh-huh. So, yeah, you you know, you push your shoulders forward, up, back, drop them, and then you have this kind of solid stance. So I did that and I and then I got the gig. You had to- <laughs> That was it. You had to pretend to be her alive in order to play her day yes yeah they were going to do this they were going to do a couple of scenes and i had speaking oh i had lots of lines but they decided i didn't get no i would have been really heartbroken if i had we'd recorded this tape the scenes and then they'd cut them i would have been devastated Mm. but they actually didn't tape them because they uh they said that there was too much in the plot and it was just getting way too confusing. Yeah, I would disagree with that. But uh, <laughs> I have a question. Wait, so you beat out fourteen yes. other people to be the dead body. I did fourteen guys. So <laughs> I have a question because they always do this, and I've always wanted to ask the actor who plays the dead body how this is done. So mm-hmm. they have like at some point a photo of the victim that they they're like showing. You know, they show it to the Tucker young Tucker, and they mm-hmm. show it to the parents or whatever. So did you also have to do like a photo shoot day where you shot your own like pretend headshot? as this character and then also played the body? Yes. Uh, I, had a whole, I had a whole day, an extra day to go in. I went over the period of about a week. Wow. And one one was uh, uh, just a photography day. So I had to get back on the, <laughs> in the, on the slab and uh, the photographer then sort of hovers over you because they have to sort of be right over your, your head ah. and they take the shot. But it takes, but you have to get back into makeup because I was bludgeoned and strangled. Mm. <laughs> That took a couple of hours each time, and uh, the makeup artist told me she used to be invited to the morgue, the city morgue, whenever a particularly gruesome body would come in so that she could study injuries. Wow. And how to replicate, yeah, strangulation and bruising. Another question, because I have an mm-hmm. opportunity to ask. Mm-hmm. Is Jesse L. Martin super gorgeous in real life? Oh, my God. He's so beautiful. <laughs> How would she know her eyes were closed the whole time? Oh, not all the time, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> not all the time. So this is the first episode with Fontana. No Briscoe. Yep. And mm-hmm. so when he walks into Van Buren's office for the first <laughs> time, right, he freezes with the camera tight on his face, doesn't move. Can I help you? I'm Fontana. Oh, hey. It's like in an episode of Happy Days when the star walks in and the audience applauds <laughs> first. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's and true. <laughs> Everyone's like, it's Dennis Farina. <laughs> yeah. Wow. We didn't know who it was going to be. How'd they get him to do this? <laughs> yeah. It's like, what'd you do with Cash. all the money, Dennis? <laughs> yeah. 
I love him. I love the way his character is built. I love the way he seamlessly flexes from greasy and maybe racist to super smart and definitely not racist to greasy and maybe racist again in like four seconds over and over and over again. (laughs) Um, He's a really good cop and he's just very like complexly written Mm -hmm. and like even in the conversation he has with Green about Van Buren like he sort of lays stuff out there we see but uh, Van Buren she does have a good rap Mm -hmm. that's why you transferred well let's just say that uh, my last boss and me we we had some problems anything I should know about no nothing that would affect you look all I want for the three of us to get off on the right foot. That's all I want. We see so much of him in this episode that sets up what a fantastic character he was, and I really do wish that more of the show had had him on it. I'd like to know, Tracy, yeah. if you if you know, this is the first episode of the season that aired. Was this the first episode they shot? Oh, yes. So this was... It was shot during the summer. So was it, So this was Dennis Farina's, what, first day on the set and you were there? Oh, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never thought about that. <laughs> wow, I'm, it's a historic moment. <laughs> yeah. So I was asking you where the uh, the restroom was. I don't know, I'm, I'm new here. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why there were so many producers on set. Hmm. Oh. Because I wondered, did that happen on, you know, for every episode? But I didn't. I had nothing to compare it to. But that might have been a reason, actually, because he was the new star of the show. Hmm. And he immediately stuck his fingers in your mouth. <laughs> Do you think Fred Thompson yeah. was intimidated by Dennis Farina? Because Fred they Thompson is also is also like a like you know classic character actor, older well, guy who like people know. Like, well, hits then, that guy. Then, then I need to ask this question: You, Trace, you shot everything with the cops, the detective side. Mm-hmm. Did you see or have a walk by or know what was going on with the filming of the second half? the courtroom stuff. Oh, yes, I did. Oh, yes? <laughs> yes, I did. Spill. Because they, um, I, it was the Javits Center. They took over the Javits Center mm. and they reconstructed a courtroom there uh-huh. and they also reconstructed Abu Ghraib Prison. Wow. Mm. Holy cow. No, It was so cool. Let's <laughs> 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 well, talk a more about Fontana, okay, because here we've seen him for the first time. He walks in. Hey, man. Ed Green. It's about time they gave me a partner with a little smooth. Finally got a partner with some smooth. Yeah. Some smooth? Yeah. Yeah. I know. Ugh. It's such a weird line. It's just a strange thing to say. <laughs> and then the, the idea that he would think that would be like an okay thing to say in front of two black yeah. people? <laughs> I know. I did. I watched that line a couple of times because I thought, that's such a cheesy line. Maybe that's why he stopped when he walked in. He was looking and say, can I get away with that? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I can. Yeah. yeah. I was like, do I need the money that badly? Okay. <laughs> he takes green for a beer. And of course, he has a martini, which is great. Right, and he yeah. holds it. Yeah. He holds the stem uh, like a duchess holding a clarinet. That's how you're supposed to hold a stemmed glass, by the way. You're supposed oh, to hold. You? That's why the stem the is there. Out? You're supposed to hold it by the stem. No one does it, but that is in fact why the stem With is the there. The pinky ring. Out. <laughs> right. Yes, correct. But Tracy, he then pays for the martini by pulling out a wad of cash, like he's the guy pumping <laughs> gas at the Hess station. I know, and his clothes, you know, his style. He's like gangster. And then, uh, yeah, he's just brilliant. He brings a lot into the role, really. Yeah, we're supposed to be wondering if he's on the take, which obviously Green is wondering immediately. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm. Well, I will say Fontana is on Law & Order for two years, and we never learned where we got all his money. Yeah. No, 
No, we suspect. Yeah, I mean, I just assume. I mean, I call her um, AVB. Anita Van Buren says to Green later, like... You should have seen this dude. I mean, he had a knot the size of my fist. Yeah, with an attitude to match. So what's the 411 on him? Works hard, plays hard. Sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah, but they didn't give me a choice, Ed. He works hard and plays hard. Like, you know something about that, alluding to Green's gambling problem, right? right? So, you know, I don't know if it's that. It could be the ponies. Maybe he came came with money. You never know. You don't know he didn't. Mm-hmm. I don't like to assume he's Yeah, maybe did. he's the heir to that saffron oil fortune. <laughs> that oil company. Yeah. By the way, isn't saffron oil, isn't that something you cook with? <laughs> you don't put it in your car? You should. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. All right, now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Nadira is arraigned and gets hotshot lawyer Bernie Adler, who's going to argue she's a soldier who killed another soldier in war, therefore protected from prosecution. Article 87 of the Third Geneva Convention holds that captured soldiers cannot be punished for acts of war. Therefore, this court has no jurisdiction over this homicide. Neither the victim nor the defendant were soldiers. The victim was a reservist. Who was inactive but likely to be called back to duty in my client's homeland, the one this country invaded and occupies. Now seems like a great time to debate the Iraqi war <laughs> within the DA's office. So it's uh, not a surprise that arch-conservative Arthur Branch is a war hawk and lesbian reconnaissance officer Serena Sutherland <laughs> is a peacenik. <laughs> Nadira loses her POW claim and will face second-degree murder charges. So at trial... Adler grills the company commander about what they did at Abu Ghraib, and he's all like, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Nadira testifies her brother was humiliated by Lindsay Starr and was sodomized with a broomstick handle. He told his sister that the troops were from New York, and she got everyone's address from the internet. Thanks, Google. <laughs> <laughs> Nadira says she lured Lindsay to the office building only to humiliate her, but McCoy convinces the jury she brought the pig's blood and her own white blouse to make the funeral gown. Jurors convict, and Branch tells the reporters, it's not a victory in the war on terror, it's a victory in the war of crime, which is just as good, rhetorically. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yeah. So this is the argument that Branch has been waiting his whole life to make. Yes. Ever since he got ha- hassled by that chicken hawk in those Looney Tune cartoons. Mm. <laughs> they hate our way of life and our freedoms. Now, this is their war on modernism and Western civilization. So the strategy is to scare the jury to death. Trust me. The fear is already there. We can't have Iraqi assassins roaming the streets of New York executing America. I still think we should have handed her over to the military. We could have just ducked the whole issue instead of trying to set policy. And I can't believe I have pusillanimous pussyfooters on my own staff. <laughs> so when Arthur calls everyone pusillanimous pussyfooters, yes. Serena's like, yeah, I am. <laughs> Is this because I'm a lesbian? No, she's n- not a lesbian. <laughs> I felt like this was like a repeat of the Fred Thompson presidential debate era, right? Like seeing him like be so pro 
invasion, all that stuff. Oh, he spent more time on this episode than running for president. <laughs> 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 but we're not going to be surprised that uh, these two characters are seeing things differently. Especially Branch, because he's sort of the conservative outlier of all the characters. Right. And I mean, I, I just wondered when I watched this back for you guys uh, today, I just kind of thought, how many cliches can they fit into one episode? <laughs> yeah. You know, it was, they were covering every columnist's opinion in one scene. Mm. You know, it was sort of, no, this is the worst thing that can ever happen. What's this like being an American? Uh, and they they put in everything yes. into one script. They hate so our way no of life. No wonder they didn't give me. They hate it. No wonder they didn't give me my scenes. <laughs> they, they wanted to waste the time on arguing every level of the law. Yes. Yeah. And the grandstanding. The press conference scenes in this episode are amazing. <laughs> yeah, they hold this pre-trial press conference, complete with a cameo by the real mayor of New York, who says this. As you all know, we are in the midst of one of the most important criminal trials of the last 50 years. Okay. Really? <laughs> mm. Cool. Really? <laughs> really? Mm. Okay. The second degree murder case. Yes. <laughs> hey, no offense, Tracy, but your body ain't worth that much. Seriously, a grocery worker. I have a question about that press conference. Yeah. There's a million reporters there, and they're all screaming, yeah, right? Which happens. And Arthur Branch is like, I'll take questions. He gets two super loopy questions yeah. about like God yeah. and then ends the press conference. I'm yeah. like, this is a press conference. This isn't a speech. Like you're supposed to actually talk to these He's people. He's take a couple questions. That's <laughs> yeah. And actually, and when, when they go to walk away, then they, you hear all these voices going, oh, and another question. And it's so half-hearted. Yeah. It's like, no, no journalist would be going, if you wouldn't mind. Um, no. <laughs> it is very funny. Well, he's in a rush walking away so that he can not be the one prosecuting this trial. Yeah, true. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, when you would, so you you must be able to do like a kick-ass American accent if you were originally She was dead. She didn't have any lines. But she she was cast with the speaking part. I was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously I gave up acting after that role because where do you go from there? It's true. It's true. It's like Oscar (laughs) and victim on Law and Order. (laughs) I'm done. I can't, yeah. That's that's it, really. Um, And it's the best conversation at dinner parties because, you know, people will say, well, I mean, you know, you lived in New York and, you know, where, what'd you do? And I'd say, oh, you know, I was, I was acting for a few years and whatever. Oh, I played a victim in Law and Order. And they go, oh my God, that's amazing. Hey, everybody, you'll never guess. I was also in a Broadway show, but nobody gives a shit about that. They only care, care about, about my slab Tony. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing how popular that show is. Did anybody touch you when you were naked on the slab? Dennis Tell us. Farina. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I actually had a really funny moment where they, they had me wear this bandage over my boobs, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it was quite tight. And um, by the way, I had a lion, not a stand-in. I had a lion <laughs> who, <laughs> who was paid to just lie there while they fixed the lights so that I could relax in my trailer. Uh-huh. Wow. Which which on the door said the body. <laughs> By the way, was the lion naked too? She had a similar bandage, yes, <laughs> and a, a sh- the sheet. Wow! But uh, I was I was practicing keeping my breathing way down mm-hmm. for <laughs> for the shot, and uh, they brought me out and they said, "Okay, you can come out." And I got into position on the slab, and they adjusted the sheet, and I was slowing my breathing down and. 
just, you know, trying to be as dead as I could be. And uh, the bandage flipped <laughs> and I sat up really fast and went, oh, my God. And everybody jumped. <laughs> so apparently <laughs> you scared them yeah they thought I was dead um, the um, <laughs> they put it on a blooper reel for <laughs> oh, for the crew fantastic uh, so I've never seen it I'd love to see oh it oh my god that's amazing <laughs> yeah uh, so, and what's great is they have that trailer that just says body they get to use it every week no and i wonder if it's the person. same like lion every is it like somebody on, on staff <laughs> no, that's sometimes it's job? a guy like the pa sometimes it's a kid you know just <laughs> yeah how do you and how do you get that job maybe you're a body once and they're like you did such a good job <laughs> <laughs> could you, you stick around could you come back and no one will ever see you uh ever yeah, it doesn't matter but, you just, know yeah yeah you've got a gig it's nice to know they put so much thought into lighting the dead people on the show <laughs> <laughs> i know seriously they had a bunch Budget, obviously, their budget was yeah. very healthy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you get right to court in Law and Order, you know the writers aren't going to throw in the usual plot twist. It's just going to be an expostulation on the war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have other questions, though. I really do. Yeah. How did Jeff and Nadira Harrington meet? What was their romance like? Yeah. Like this is the this to me was the burning question of the whole episode. <laughs> they're so because unlikely. you see him, mm. they're so unlikely. You see him there in court. Is it fair to say your wife wasn't happy with her life in the suburbs? No, she was very content. You don't have children. What did your wife do all day? Madeira likes to cook. She reads several newspapers. She's very interested in current events. He doesn't seem particularly surprised that his wife has become more devout because he says that. Uh-huh. But, like, there's never any inkling of any kind of relationship between the two of them, other than the fact that she lives in his Syosset, like, you know, suburban house and mm-hmm. makes dinner for him or whatever. But, like, what is that mm. situation? Because does, he doesn't seem, like, particularly affected about his wife's being charged with murder, even though he's on the stand. And it just seems like it seems very weird, mm. right? It does seem weird. And then, um, then when he's asked the question, you know, about uh, the murder of her brother... He said, well, did she blame the insurgents or did she blame the Americans? And he says, I was afraid to ask. Like, and that's <laughs> it. Like, that's the end of that. Oh, well. Yeah, communication so in that relationship. Yeah. Mm. I, I kind of thought they were going to play it like it was a long game, that she married him on purpose so oh. that she could get here to do stuff. That's kind of where I thought it was going. Okay, but that no. would work. Yeah. That, yeah that, no. Apparently, she just really wanted to live in Syosset or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she yeah. had a nice kitchen. You know. She did. Mm. (laughs) The American dream. (laughs) Why would you give up that kitchen to kill? That that colander, you know, it was all worth it. (laughs) (laughs) So when Nadir is on the stand, she says that Lindsay Starr... Mm -hmm. Took a knife and cut off his clothing. Then she touched his penis and laughed. I want to know, Tracy, what was so funny about that penis? Oh, God. I could tell you stories. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> mm, it was a joke just between us, you know. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it had a mustache. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, the, it was brave and good of the show to talk so plainly about the atrocities that happened at Abu Ghraib. It was. Mm, it was. That yeah. being said, it was not good of the show to do the Muslim revenge killing as the answer to <laughs> what actually happened here. Like that sort of 
this is the problem with this episode, right? It tries to make everybody happy, right? Mm-hmm. So like it, it, it sort of tries to satisfy the people in the room who might be like, those people were just doing their jobs and tries to satisfy the people in the room who are like, that's not okay under any circumstances and tries to satisfy people who don't like to vilify Muslims and tries to satisfy people who do like to vilify Muslims. <laughs> Tracy, I'm terribly sorry, but Rebecca feels that the episode that you were on should never have been made. <laughs> that's not true. Tracy Damn you, Rebecca. deserved that role. Damn you. <laughs> no, but this episode is such a great encapsulation of that moment in time, though. So it should have been made. This is the kind of episode, it's actually like, his, I mean, it would be an interesting episode to watch in a history class in 50 years mm-hmm. because it mm. really does reflect. I 15 think, years is not long enough. I mean, it does. I mean, now it does. <laughs> yeah. but it reflects the sentiment of America in that exact moment very, very well, yeah. I think. Mm. No, no, it does. It does. The only thing I regretted with the plot was I thought that I didn't. Um, you know, Deer was, was a great character and a really good actor. Um, but at the end, she doesn't commit to the killing. She has to be. She has to be caught out. And on the day you killed her, you bought a pint of pig's blood. To shame her? You also brought with you a white blouse to use as a funeral tunic because you planned to kill her. Isn't it a fact that after you struck Lindsay Starr with the pipe, after she was unconscious, you put your hands over her nose and mouth until her heart stopped beating? Because she... Because of what she did to my country. Which is it, Mrs. Harrington? Your brother or your country? You know, she says, oh, I just, um, she hit her head and then she was dead. And then they have to draw it out of her about the, the strangulation part. So I kind of, I would have liked her a lot more if she were super villainous. Yeah, and the she, white blouse was the clue. Yeah, if she yeah. killed you in a more horrible way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, go for it. You know, we didn't talk about one of the best scenes in this whole episode. Which is that? When uh, Dennis Farina goes full on Gorin with his history text and like the 13th century <laughs> um, crusader. He took out his time life oh, yeah. library collection of yes. the Middle Ages. And this is the burial pose of a knight from the 13th century crusade of Frederick II. My tunic, Red Cross. These knights were considered soldiers of the church. Once they pledged to join the crusade and fight the infidels, they were exempt from civil jurisdiction and their property couldn't be taxed. Membership had its privileges. Damn, you seem to know a lot about this. There were a lot of Italian knights. And and, and he was right because that white blouse ended up being the clue to the mm-hmm. whole thing. And McCoy figured it out in the courtroom. It was kind of incredible. Tracy, they let you keep that blouse? You know, I wanted it so badly, but <laughs> no. <laughs> Couldn't wear it's it to probably work. in the Smithsonian, I imagine. Yeah. You know, that's how important my role was. So, yeah. You did get your own trailer, though. I did get my own trailer. Yes, I am the body. <laughs> it's as close as I get to Elma Pearson's physique. Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.
<laughs> hey, let's take a look at the real life story that inspired this episode. What could it be? It's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's time for a rip from the headlines. You think you know who did you it? You think you know who did it? But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Rip from the headlines. This episode takes its inspiration from the scandal surrounding Abu Ghraib. While in power, Saddam Hussein used the facility to torture dissidents and political prisoners, but American forces took over the prison after invading Iraq. In 2004, CBS broadcast photographs taken from inside Abu Ghraib showing soldiers torturing detainees. The pictures included the iconic image of a prisoner with a hood over his head, forced to stand in a box, wires attached to his outstretched arms. Other photos show detainees were forced to stand naked while humiliated or attacked by dogs. Several soldiers were also in the pictures, giving thumbs-up gestures to prisoner humiliation tactics and kneeling over a corpse. The prison guards claimed superior officers and CIA contractors instructed them to commit the abuses to soften up the detainees before interrogation. Eleven soldiers were court-martialed for dereliction of duty and aggravated assault. The enlisted men were sentenced to up to 10 years in military prison. Two senior officers were demoted. The images of Abu Ghraib shed a light on the larger widespread campaign of torture by the CIA. In 2006, American forces turned over control of the prison to the Iraqis. Abu Ghraib was finally closed in 2014. <laughs> on the nose yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I want to start by noting that since 2003 over 1 million US troops served in Iraq mm. 85% received honorable or general discharges only 2% were dishonorably discharged and uh, most of those who serve honorably do not endorse those actions I'm saying that right up front the military though has been dilatory in its prosecution of US war criminals mm. So Law and Order typically lives in our universe, but touches real-life issues through a, a narrative rewrite. Right. right. It's a no-name brand world, derivative of real news. We do have the actual mayor of New York here making a cameo, and they reference real-life cases in the news, just like Abu Ghraib. But it's not a universe where 9-11 did not happen. Instead of making it a fake prison camp, yeah, a different prison camp, which they do a lot, they go right after Abu Ghraib. Why? Rebecca, I'll start with you. I don't know. <laughs> you don't? I don't. Thank you. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I really, I don't know. And I and they also never explain why our, our friend Tracy here had the photos to begin with. Was she going to be a whistleblower or was she keeping mm. them as souvenirs? That's something else we don't know. Um, there's a lot of things that are that we don't know. It's interesting to me. I mean, maybe they just decided to choose the moment for SEO so they would get lots of viewers that week. I don't know. I don't know why they didn't choose a different name, make it a different place. I really don't. I have my own suspicion, which is, in the Law and Order universe, you can sometimes debate things that don't get a fair debate in public. And so I think they specifically wanted to talk about Abu Ghraib directly and not opaquely. What do you think? Yeah, I know. I agree with you. I mean, it was such a huge controversial episode at the time. Uh, you know, we were all sworn to secrecy. We couldn't even tell anybody what it was about until they released. Really? Um, yeah, because it was such a hot button issue. And there's a line in, in the episode, actually, where Dennis Farina says something like, uh, oh, I heard it's not so bad over there. Oh, I heard it wasn't so bad. And I think that was actually a comment on 
uh, how it was being reported. Um, mm. And they don't even change the names that much. So Lindy England was the corporal yes. who was... Um, who was uh, as part of major part of the scandal? She was actually seen as kind of the central figure, and Corporal Lindsay Star, Lindy Star, Lindsay Star is like almost the same name. Yeah. So yeah, they didn't even change anything, and they must have gone. Their legal teams must have done all kinds of somersaults trying to figure out whether that was going to be okay or no, not. No, oh, no, they, they just put a it's sign up at the card, beginning. Yeah, saying says, like, not it's real. fictional. We all <laughs> know. <laughs> It's completely fictional, yet we have the real mayor of New York in it talking about a real place and showing photos and referencing real life photos that actually did exist. But it's been totally it's fictional. Totally, yeah. Lindy, Lindsay. <laughs> oh, I wonder how they came up with that. <laughs> like, seriously. Now, the Irish Defense Force is often part of peacekeeping missions. They work a lot with the United Nations, mm-hmm. you know, Blue Helmets, but they did not have troops in Iraq. So, Tracy, thanks for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks You're for welcome. everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way we were going there. <laughs> yeah, my my dad actually served in the UN peacekeeping forces in Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm. Oh, mine too. Yeah, yours did too. In the 70s. 50s. <laughs> well, that is going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest Tracy Ferguson. Tracy, where can our listeners follow you online? Oh, okay. Well, I've, I'm a co-host on a podcast called Docs That Rock about uh, the best documentary films and series there are. And uh, we're at Docs Rock Podcast on Twitter. And I'm Tracy Ferg on Twitter. Rebecca Lavoy, where can our listeners follow you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law & Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freider. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoie. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. Get your first month free at stitcherpremium.com crime. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for Criticism and Commentary. Sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com for our newsletter and a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the Yoga Loft Above the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.